Welcome to Sunday Morning at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Pastor Goss. There we go. Who's excited for church today? Come on, celebrate what Jesus has done because we serve a great, great God. We are so thrilled that you're here. If you're joining us online or here in this room, we are expecting God to show up and show out. Who thinks we have some incredible worship too? Give it up for Pastor Steve. Let's go. Well, hey, here we go. Let's dive in. A lady once, she gets her, she wanted her picture taken and she gets her picture taken by a photographer and the photographer uh, looked at her and, and had her pose in a certain way. The lady comes back and she looks at the proof of the picture. And when she looks at the proof of the picture, she complains. The photographer says, well, what seems to be the issue? She goes, this picture doesn't do me justice. The photographer then kindly replied and said, Ma'am, you are not in need of justice. You are in need of mercy. Hey, I'll let that one sink in for you. Today, I want to talk to you about this big idea. The mercy we've received is the mercy we are to share. If you know it or if you don't, you have been a receiver of mercy. Mercy, we simply define as this. It is compassion for the miserable. To stoop to kindness to an inferior, to have pity upon, and to actively be compassionate. Now, we don't really like the term mercy because what that implies is that there's a superior and there's inferiors. And yes, the truth of life is that there are people who are superior and inferior. If not, we call that socialism. No, I'm joking. I'm not going to go there. But uh, Psalms 103, 8 through 17 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He He will not shy it away, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our inequities. For as heaven is high above earth, so great is mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions. Like as the father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passeth over and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. See, we have to understand something. Mercy is not something that God has. Mercy is something who God is. So you and I are, uh, are fortunate to receive this radical mercy by the name of Jesus Christ, how he atoned on the cross for each and every one of us, that if we understand and have that relationship with him, then we know that we are in this posture and in this place of mercy. However, the rebellion side of us kicks in. This is why we call our season or our series Rebellion Meets Mercy is because we, we struggle with this idea of mercy. 
We, we, we let mercy or our shape be shaped by an understanding of what's happened to us. We lose a job and we're, God, God, where's my compassion there? God, where, where are you having kindness on me now? We lose a loved one in our life. God, how can you let me go through something so hard? God, where's your mercy there? Or maybe... We're in this moment when we have relational problems and we've gone through divorce or divorce is about to happen and God, where's your mercy? Like, well, why aren't you coming to this situation? And, and we allow our past and we allow our hurts and our pains to shape our beliefs of mercy. See, mercy when it comes to God is more of this visual It's like the Florida Gators, they're about to storm the field. All 100,000 fans are about to storm the field. All right, Florida Gators, that's not a good illustration. Their fans never storm the field. Okay, Florida State is about to, wait, nope. Let's go with Miami, right? You know, like, okay, no, Ohio State. They're about to storm the field, all the fans. In mercy is Jesus intervene. Jesus is, hey, all the fans are about to rush in. They're about to storm the field. The wrath of God is about to enter into the arena, but Jesus is holding back. He's holding everything back. I want to give you more time. Mercy. It's, who, it, it's what God provides for us when we know or not. He's giving us more time. If you're here and maybe you have that relationship with Jesus, then you're fortunate to understand just how vital mercy is in your life. That there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to really necessarily grasp it and attain it. It's something that is completely given because that's who God is. Jesus' teaching on mercy is this in Matthew 5, 7, a beatitude. He says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So today we're going to be looking at what mercy is in our life and it's almost that, that approach of we understand mercy by giving in and sharing that mercy to someone. So we share mercy, number one, when we pursue people because God's pursued us. He's given us his one and only son. We're going to be looking at the story of David continued in 2 Samuel. And uh, if you want to join me, 2 Samuel chapter 9. This, this, un, this unusual act of King David by giving it kindness and mercy to this man But see, David is in this unique place. If we see in 2 Samuel chapter 8, David is at the height of his reign. In fact, we see in in chapter 8 verse 15 that he did right by all people. Israel and Judah, they, they are combined. David is reigning. He just gets done conquering the Edomites of 18,000 people. And David is up on the mountaintop in this great experience. And then David ask a question. When, he's, when life is going good for him, he turns his attention and shows mercy. He asks this question in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? Now keep in mind, uh, King Saul tried to kill David. And he continues that I may show kindness 
for Jonathan's sake. See, David's covenant with King Saul's son, Jonathan, led him to show this unusual kindness and compassion. But see, if we look back at 1 Samuel chapter 20, whenever this compassion is kind of instituted in David's life is because he's received it. See, Jonathan helped David escape for his life. King Saul wanted to kill him, and so Jonathan and David, they, they orchestrate a plan. If I shoot the arrows over here, Jonathan, then you know you're gonna be okay. If I shoot the arrows over here, then, then you know you're gonna be okay, David. Long story, you can look it up yourself, but then what happens is Jonathan shoots the arrows a certain way. David understands that King Saul is not pleased with him and runs for his life. This radical compassion and mercy is demonstrated and displayed in David's life. David pursues someone because he's received mercy, not only in this scenario, but also in the scenario with God. Verse two, it says this, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of this house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? And Ziba said, king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Now what's unique in this scenario is we don't even know the name of this person yet, but we know a fact about their life. They're paralyzed, they're crippled, they have a, a unique circumstance that has been associated with their identity. See, David pursued someone out of a relationship, but David doesn't stop there. David also pursued another person, the person that didn't measure up. First, if you look back at the, the, the way monarchs and kingdoms would establish themselves, if a new king came into place, then the, the king, the established king, would wipe, wipe away the lineage and the legacy and the other, any relatives, so there would be no chance at revolt or rebellion. We talked about that last week, honor if you're with us. And what's interesting, we see another display where Jonathan, or where David, excuse me, does something completely different. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, there's this man by the name of Ishbosheth, a son of Saul. He is beheaded. These assassins, they, they go and they creep in his house and they cut off his head, his hands, and his feet, and they bring it back to David. And David's response to these assassins. He cuts off their head, cuts off their feet, cuts off their hands, and he hangs them in front of the pool of Hebron. See, David did something very unique when other kings would rejoice and say, thank you for doing something on my behalf. David says, that's not how we're going to play. That's not what we're going to do. So David, he, he honored, he showed mercy and radical compassion to a man that didn't measure up. He actually pursued someone in a former regime's lineage. And then number two, we also see that David pursued someone who was crippled. Now, for us, it's maybe not a big deal when we read it in scripture, but in that culture, in that century, someone with this kind of disability would almost be outcasted from society, overlooked. No one would really pay attention to them. 
And David says, no, 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 come to me. I'm gonna pursue you and ask you and send and give you an invitation. See, oftentimes, if someone has this kind of ailment in their life, they'd be left in places to die alone and, and just go on with life. And we even see the, this uniqueness in Leviticus chapter 21. We see this, that, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron saying, none of your offspring throughout their generation who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a blind or lame or one who is mutilated face or limb too long. It was harsh. But then David comes and he starts to set this precedent of this coming man by the name of Jesus. Thousands years before Jesus comes, David is on to something. He is a man after God's own heart because he understood mercy. See, we see that this catastrophe that happened to this man's life, his physical ailment, wasn't even his own doing. When he heard that his grandfather Saul had died, a a servant picked him up and they, they take off and they trip and scripture says they fell. And when the servant falls, the five-year-old, the, the baby that we'll mention here in just a moment loses out on the ability to walk. Sometimes our own hurt, our own pain isn't even our fault. Sometimes the own ailments aren't even our fault. And David understood and he still pursued that person that didn't measure up. I love what verse one says. It doesn't say David pursued someone. It said David pursued anyone. Oftentimes, we'll pursue people, we'll show mercy to people, we'll show compassion and live in that posture when we think that person will understand how I feel. When we think that person could maybe repay that mercy back to me. We, we say, okay, I'll show that mercy to that person because they'll really grip it and grasp it. David's saying, no, 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 it's not about that someone that it, they might not look like you. They might not even hardly know you, but David is saying, I'm going to pursue that person. See, God's pursued us in a way that's so radical and so real that he's given us his one and only son. And if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, then if there's one thing you can capture is this, that there's this mercy from a loving and great God. See, we, like David, are to pursue people the way God's pursued us. And people might not always measure up, but we're still supposed to exhibit mercy. We share mercy when, too, we restore people. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 4, The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Now, Makir, an influential man, he had ties to King Saul's house. He was in the region of Gilead and had an allegiance in a way that could uh, be connected and sought out with the former king and his regime. So then in verse 5, then King David sent and brought him to the house of, from the house of Makir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and he fell on his face and he paid homage. 
And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Now Mephibosheth, his, he understood there was a lot on the line. First, the location of where he was hanging out, that, that, that group, Makir's family. Not only that, what, his, what, what was at, on the line was his life was on the line. He's approaching the king. He's understanding that I come from the lineage of King Saul. And since I come from the king, what is the king summoning me for? If I don't get my act together, then what's the issue is going to be possibly death for not only himself, Mephibosheth, but his families, where he's staying, even this king servant, Ziba. A lot is on the line. We allow, there's this interesting little detail that I love in Scripture. When he approaches the king, Mephibosheth, he, he drops to his knees and he pays homage, this humility. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone is coming to me who has an ailment the way Mephibosheth has, I'm sure not going to say, you can drop to your knees honor me. I'm sure not gonna, I'm, I'm not going to let someone who's crippled get out of the chair. In fact, I'd be like, no, 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 stay there. You don't have to do anything. You came, that's cool. Let's call it good. See, when it comes to this idea of restoring people here in the way David did, David allowed him to go through that process of humility. There's moments when we have to allow people to go through a process of of humility. You might be in this place and have relationships and you might have gone through some very interesting trying situations where sometimes someone close to you has to hit rock bottom for them to really understand and to have a response that is healthy. See, there's two sides of the coins. First, sometimes when it comes to this process of restoration, when we make a mistake, we want to say sorry, and we want to say, hey, you know what? Will you forgive me? Can things go back to normal? Or if we have a, a good friend, a close confidant, or someone in our relationships that are, are so uh, nice, and, and, and they, they make a mistake, and they say sorry, they want to be restored quickly. See, David, hear this detail. He allows this individual that is on the other side of the fence to go through a process of radical humility. And that can be hard for us, but it's in the depth of the hurt where we can then be restored. In our denomination, if a minister makes mistakes uh, morally or or different things, there's this two-year restoration peace and period that they, that elders and leaders oversee. Why? Because it's a process. Sometimes we have to go through a process in order to be restored. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7, and David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness. So, da- so Mephibosheth, he's on his knees, he's crippled, he's, he's begging, he, he doesn't know, he's, is this it for him? And David calms him down and says, do not fear for I'll show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you and the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. 
The fortune you have, the fortune we have is because of the faithfulness of someone else. What you've experienced, the opportunity that you have to be in here and listen online, the faithfulness of someone else has blazed that trail for us to be given this opportunity. David had a relationship with Jonathan that's given Mephibosheth an opportunity. In Proverbs 13, 22, I love what this says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Jonathan left an inheritance to his son because he was a good man. He showed compassion on, uh, on David in a radical and real way. There is this mercy that was so unique that Mephibosheth and his son Micah now will experience. Isaac Newton, the great scientist, he says this, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. We go further, not because of trying to create our own trails, not because of what we can do, but because of what's come before us. And a smart man, a wise man, understand that David understood the mercy that he received was therefore mercy he should give. 2 Samuel chapter 9, and he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show that regard for a dead dog such as I? A restoration peace, we share mercy, we show mercy, is when we allow people to go through a restoration period in their lives. And then number three, we place people. We share mercy when we place people. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and all of his house, house I have given to your master's grandson. And to you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him till you shall bring in, and you shall bring in produce to your master's grandson that may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. That line that David says, shall always eat at my table. Radical mercy. See, whenever we're in the presence of a king, whenever he invites us to the table, and the king is sitting there and you're sitting there when you're eating, when you're having community, when you're together at the table, you're celebrating, you're rejoicing the, the, the moments of life. The, the king is hearing you out. Whenever you're sitting at the table, you're in that period and you're in that place where, hey, what's happened throughout your day? They're listening. The king's saying, come to my table, Mephibosheth, this guest who always had a place at his table. This radical mercy. Sometimes I think we forget the invitation that we've been extended at the table. There's this chapter in Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus speaks of the parable of a story. And he, sends his, and he tells his master to go send his servants. Go, go invite everybody that will come. So the servants, they go and, and they invite the noble people of the community. They, they invite the, the people that look the part, that talk the part, that acted the part. 
servants come back to the master and they say, master, uh, everybody's busy. They've made these excuses. The, at the wedding feast, no one's coming. The, the table is set, but no one is there. The master responds. He says, go back. Invite all who will listen and all who will come. So the servants, they go back to the streets and scripture says they invite the bad and the good and they show up to the feast. And the wedding hall is packed and, it's, and, and people are there surrounding, celebrating. Can you imagine that moment when Mephibosheth is sitting with King David day in, day out? He might have had a bad day, but he comes to the king's table. There might have been a situation going on, but he has a place at the table. If there's one thing that I can encourage you to grasp today is no matter what you've gone through, the way Mephibosheth had a place at King David's table, we have a place at Jesus' table. I think a lot of times we get hung up on our hurts, our pains, and the mercy maybe that we've missed, that we forget, we have a standing invitation. The meal is there. The party is starting. God's saying, hey, I've given you my son Jesus. When um, he's holding back the wrath and the compassion, it's right there. My hope for you is this today and it comes in forms of two questions as we close and the first is this for your life what you're going through what you're engaging in and how uh, are are you saying i'm gonna show up at the table Am I, gonna, am I gonna eat at the king's invitation? Am I gonna listen? Am I gonna receive the mercy? Because you, know, you and I know that when it comes to this mercy, we're not perfect people. We've made mistakes. We have mental hangups. We have struggles. And when we, in our first question today for our hope is, are you willing to come to the table? Are you willing to receive the mercy? Not of who God is, it's, it is that mercy is God. Second question is this, not only do we have a seat at the table, but Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. The, who do we need to show mercy to? Who do we need to say, hey, come to my dinner table and eat with me. They might not look like you, they might not talk like you, they might not even act like you, but it's this act of showing compassion to someone that can't repay it. Shemaphibaseth, he was crippled, he was from a different monarchy, he was a guy that should have been dismissed by culture. See, there, there's a lot of tough trying times right now. When you flip on the news, you will leave that room discouraged within three minutes. My prayer I was prepping this week is, God, show these people mercy. Church, may we be moved to live a life of mercy, of this active compassion. Will we say, hey, come to the table with me. Let's eat, let's celebrate. Let me hear about your pain, your problems, your struggles. Because that's the same way that our God wants to have a relationship with us.
2 Peter 3, 9, as we close, says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. An apostle Peter wrote that, and it makes me laugh because if there's a guy that understood mercy, was the guy who wrote that. So I'm gonna ask you to pray with me with every head bowed and eyes closed. Lord, right now we give you this time and we say thank you. As we learned about this attribute of mercy today, exhibited by King David, but started with you. Lord, we know that you've asked each and every one of us to come to the table. And Lord, our prayer right now is for those who are in this place that want to accept this full and life-giving mercy that you've offered to us. Whether they may take the next step, that they be radically moved and changed because knowing that we have a loving God that's holding back the pain and hurts and the problems and the wrath for something so much more. And that's a relationship with you. And God, not only are we to receive and accept your mercy, but God, I also pray over this body that's gathering right here. I pray that you touch them and help them to show mercy, to be a church that leads out with mercy. And everything that they do when they live out their lives and work and with friends, may they ask people to come to the table so that they can understand the goodness of God. Lord, we give you this time right now and we say thank you. Thank you for your mercy. In your great and holy name, everyone in this room, we all say amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Sunday morning at 815 and 1045 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next week for Sunday morning. Faith Assembly Sunday Morning is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.